Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've gathered us on the start of this new year. Father, we pray that you'll speak to us mightily. Father, that you will challenge us. Father, may my words be your words. Father, guide us and inspire us as a church as we go forward in this life after Christmas. Amen. So churches throughout the world have told the Christmas story. Perhaps they're still singing carols, soon to be put away until this next Advent. Life after Christmas. From our passage in Matthew 2, it's reported that the wise men had returned to their own country. They had been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. And so our passage began, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt, for Herod is going to search for him and kill him. Can we imagine just how, what Joseph was thinking, what was going through his head when this message from God came, get up, take the child and flee that his child, this child that he, that they cared for was threatened. Not long before, he was a middle-class, respected citizen, soon to be married. Now, just a few months later, he's a fugitive from the king and his soldiers. In between, we had a wedding, the birth of a new baby, a visit of wise men and some curious gifts, and the visit of an angel. What must have been going through his mind? Herod, as we know, would not have calmly accepted the news that a child had been born to be king, and gave orders that all boys under the age of two in Bethlehem would be slaughtered. Herod's character was one of a ruthless leader. And so Joseph was warned in a dream to flee to Egypt. And you can see the tensions there. On the one hand, Herod's murderous plans to secure power necessitating Joseph, Mary and the child to flee to Egypt. And on the other hand, we had Joseph's dream which bore witness to God's protective hand and sovereignty. And the next verse, verse 14, says, He arose and took the young child and mother by night and departed into Egypt. So Joseph takes Mary and Jesus to Egypt, where they remain until Herod dies. It's a journey, I found out, of at least 150 miles. So the journey would take many days. However, Joseph, we read, obeyed immediately. He didn't wait to ponder what he was going to do. He didn't wait while morning. He began his journey in the dead of night. It wasn't unusual for Israelites to seek refuge in Egypt when life becomes difficult elsewhere. It's not far from Israel, but it's outside Herod's jurisdiction. 
Her uh, Egypt had a substantial Jewish population, about one million people. So Joseph and his family would not live in isolation. We're not told in Scripture just whereabouts in Egypt that they settled. But the flight to Egypt, we see in verse 15, fulfills a prophecy from Hosea 11.1. 1. Out of Egypt I called my son. This originally referred to the first exodus, but Matthew applies it to Jesus. Just as Israel is an infant nation, went down to Egypt, so Jesus went there. As Israel was led by God out of Egypt, so also Jesus. Joseph models unwavering obedience. We don't know much about Joseph in Scripture, do we? But we can see his unwavering obedience. We noted that he left immediately. As peculiar as this situation had become, Joseph obeys without complaint. Never complained. He says not a word. His prompt obedience is crucial to God's plan. He knows nothing except the next step of his journey. What obedience that is. What devotion. We cannot see the fullness of God's plan in our lives any better than Joseph could see it for his life. But we can be assured that our faithfulness will lead us to our next step in God's plan for us. God has a plan for each one of us. We're faithful. He will guide us on that path to that next step. As I prepared this message, I was talking to a Christian friend that had visited and how the flight of Mary and Joseph and Jesus to a strange country speaks straight into our world today in which millions of people are refugees and asylum seekers like our friend Mohammed. Mohammed fleeing with only what they could carry Many traumatized, fleeing for fear of their lives because of their faith. As in our friend Mohammed's case, for his Christian faith, his life was in danger. But you know, refugees and asylum seekers aren't always kindly received in the nations where they seek refuge. Not at all. But 2,000 years ago, those refugees were Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And perhaps we in the Western world should look to see their faces today as we care for the refugees and the asylum seekers. Just think about that. In verses 19 to 21, God spoke to Joseph again in a dream after the death of Herod. Joseph was to take the child and mother and go back to Israel. Again, Joseph being Joseph, he responded immediately. Having been warned in another dream, Joseph, fearful of the cruelty of Herod's son, he returned to the region of Galilee. There the family settled in the town of Nazareth, the hometown of Mary, 
And Jesus became to be known as Jesus of Nazareth. It was a small, insignificant place with a bad reputation. I found a quote from Spurgeon. Spurgeon wrote, There is some city or village or another whose inhabitants seem to be the butt of every joke and the object of scorn. The people of such places are thought to be low, uncultured, not very smart. That is the kind of place Nazareth was. You know, life after Christmas can be one of the best and also one of the worst times of year. It's that strange time that often never meets our expectations. After weeks of preparation, hanging all the lights, decorating the house, wrapping all the presents, planning the meals, sending out all the Christmas cards in the hope that they get there, Christmas comes and goes. We wake up and before we know it, the holiday has arrived, been and departed. We wake up and before we know it, things are not like we expected them to be. For all the prep we do, our expectations can almost never be met perfectly. We may never have the perfect interaction with our family without some or other disagreement. We may never get to experience God and faith exactly like we expect and hope for. Life after Christmas can be a real shock if we're not ready for it. We build up to this wonderful holiday moment through the songs on the radio, through the carols that we sing, and the worship services of Advent. Do you know, it's no wonder, therefore, why there are more incidents of hospitalizations for depression and attempts for suicide during these next few weeks. When I was working in hospital, we were always warned uh, to expect this. More than any other time of the year. For all the joy that we muster together on Christmas Eve, life after Christmas can hit low and hard. We will see it this next week at Breakfast Club and Food Bank. Life after Christmas for Jesus was filled with trial and tribulation as well. In the wake of his birth in one of the most inhospitable places, Mary, Jesus and Joseph had to flee in order to avoid the wrath of Herod. It's curious that we receive little detail regarding Herod's desire to kill those boys. Only that he was infuriated by the deception of the wise men. It would seem that Herod feared the loss of his position of power and control. And then he decided to eradicate any remnant of the supposed Messiah King that could usurp his power. Also what struck me that in this story we get the beginnings of Jesus' connections with Moses. During the time of Moses' birth, the Pharaoh in Egypt 
had all the young males murdered in order to maintain the reins over the Hebrew slaves. It was during the child massacre that Moses was saved by his mother. In a similar way, Jesus was saved from Herod's massacre of the children because of the warning from God. Just as Moses would come to lead the Hebrew slaves out of Egypt into the promised land, Jesus would eventually return to Galilee from Egypt in order to begin his ministry. I wonder what it felt like for Mary and Joseph to raise their child in such circumstances, to be told to leave all that was familiar, to enter a foreign land because a ruler wanted to see your baby murdered. I wonder what could have sustained them through the days, weeks, years of unknowing, the periods of fear and isolation. We don't know just how long they were in Egypt, but it must have been a few years. What kind of emotional roller coaster does Christmas bring for families each year? What sustains them through that time of year when joy is so intertwined with fear? We know Mary and Joseph were devout. They had a strong faith and trusted in God. And indeed, when God spoke and guided them, they followed without trepidation. Christmas for us is a reflection of that great event when God came to be with us. That time of year where we attempt to set aside all of our disappointments from the past and look forward to the new beginning when we can hopefully emulate in our own lives. Jesus came as light to our darkness. Emmanuel, God with us. So why is life after Christmas less ecstatic than the weeks leading up to it? Why do we let ourselves fall into states of sadness and the blues when we're just singing joy to the world and angels from the realms of glory? What is it about this time that makes it so much harder to get out of bed in the morning and get back to the routines of life. Life after Christmas is almost never easy, not for us now, and it certainly wasn't easy for Jesus, Mary and Joseph. As we continue to step forward into this uncertain time, time of uncertainty in our world, energy crisis, families struggling, food bank attendances raising each week, church attendances dropping. The decorations may still be up, but let us not hold fast to decorations and the pomp and the circumstance and the presents and the meals and all the elements that make Christmas what it appears to be. But instead, let us hold fast to the fellowship that we've shared, the carols and hymns we sing together, 
as a church. Let us hold fast to the fact that Christ is the light of the world that shines in the darkness. There's a verse in Thessalonians, and I should have looked it up, it's just come to me. Hold fast to that which is good. Let us not be unwavering. Let us hold fast to that which is good. That which is good in this fellowship. That which is good between the churches in Accrington. Hold fast to it. Don't let it go. Let us hold fast to the faith that we have in Jesus as Lord of all. This next Sunday on the 8th, it's listed on my rota as a week of prayer. And I want us to hold fast to that. I don't know what, in what form that will be, but I'm asking each one of us to set aside time each day to pray, not only for our brothers and sisters, to, to pray for our church, that we will hear God's call as he calls us to take whatever step he wants us to take. So make time in your week and I shall make time in my week to pray for that. Several years ago, and I've tried to remember, I think it was um, 2015, 16, thereabouts, at this time of year, we had a, a, another week of prayer. I don't know whether you remember it. And we gave it a title. And it was called Tune In and Listen. Do you, those of you who were here, do you remember that? We had a week of tune in and listen we had a notice on the door on entering please keep silent and enter prayerfully I, re I remember that what we need to do is to build a strong relationship with God through daily devotions through our prayer life especially listening to God, what God is saying to us individually and as a church. So tune in and listen. God is calling us. Tune in and listen. God is calling out to this, our church. And hold fast to the faith that we have in Jesus. Hold fast to the fellowship we share. Hold fast to the care we have for each one each one of us. So be blessed and a happy new year.